You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered. But why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, broadcasting live from um, the heart of Silicon Beach here in Santa Monica. And please be seated. It'll be another great show for you today. And um, it features a, a return guest, a guy named Tom Nora, who is, uh, has a blog called The Startup CEO. He spoke to us last year um, from South by Southwest talking about you know, what was interesting there and the, the kind of startup environment he was seeing there and comparing, also talking a little bit about Silicon Beach. Um, Tom and I have worked with some of the startups here in Silicon Beach. But um, Tom's made quite a buzz on um, some of his recent commentary in the area of startups. And he's also working on a book. So um, we're going to have Tom um, explain um, quite um, how the buzz he's created. But let me start but with a quote he um, recently posted in response to a uh, question on Quora about what are the best kept secrets about startups. Interesting question. And here was Tom's response. Almost everything startup leaders say is either a guess, untrue, conjecture, hope, or made up on the spot. Really, it's the nature of the game. Tom, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. So, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into this quote? Um, Okay. I've been involved in high-technology startups for over 20 years, uh, first as an engineer and then in sales and marketing, and then moved into the, the CEO role of a few um, technology startups, mostly kind of the heavy software and internet technology industries. And I've worked in several places all over the United States and several times in Silicon Valley. Um, I've worked in Oregon, Cambridge, Mass, on campus at Harvard, in uh, Salt Lake City, in uh, Colorado. I've worked in many, many um, what are now called these uh, ecosystems of high-tech uh, startups. And now I'm, I'm from Los Angeles, my hometown, and so yeah, I've been back in Los Angeles for a few years. Um, directly before that, I was in New Mexico, which is a fledgling startup community, but one of those that isn't doing so great. So yeah, I'm it is, yeah. That's why I went there, and um, off and on throughout my entire career, I've switched over to 
be a fledgling artist, um, photographer and oil painter. And I've uh, tried to do that to balance my life out in, um, since I was a teenager. And I'm noticing now more and more people are doing that. It's becoming more normal. Uh, it used to be kind of you were one or the other. It was pretty hard to be a business person and an, an artist at the same time. So Tom, but now you're in, you're in Silicon Beach here in, in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Let me give you kind of a, a little, let's say, a four or five year snapshot. I moved back to Los Angeles a few years ago, and I was very happy to see that we're now being called a startup town, one of the top in the, the country, um, along with, of course, Silicon Valley will never be caught. New York is pretty much almost always called number two, and suddenly we're up there almost number three, Southern Cal, mainly Los Angeles, mainly Silicon Beach and Santa Monica. Lots of press from you know New York Times and Forbes and Fortune and all these different publications and TV shows and uh, of course there's always this media and entertainment side to it but but still very very fascinating to me so I got involved and I actually started my own little group of people in the startup world to kind of commiserate with each other and help each other build companies and uh, do some cross training and things like that of which you know you were a part of that group. And in, in the past few years, I've seen this kind of, a, I don't know, more of a emphasis on the, the result rather than the, the process. You know, as Steve Jobs says, the journey is a reward, which he's told from some 5,000-year-old monk. But, uh <laughs> You know, it, it, it was um, disheartening a little bit to see that. And, and we're always being compared to Silicon Valley. And so I've, I've been writing this blog for several years talking about um, my, my goal always is to help others learn how to do it right, how to actually have a technology-based startup that can sustain itself and grow slowly over the years rather than be here and gone in a year. And, you know, the statistics are that 95 to 99 percent of all startups die and you could probably cut 60 to 70 percent of those out of uh, the failure category by just doing a few very basic um, things and one of those kind of a thread that runs through all of this is being original and trying to be innovative and having actual real innovation and uh, trying to use creativity. You know, if you're an artist or if you're a writer or something like that, it actually really helps you to, to think because if you think of some of the most powerful startups in history, they've been innovation. They've been, and innovation isn't exactly this original invention that comes out of nowhere. It's usually taking things that already exist and rearranging them and adding some new thing and finding something, seeing things in a way that nobody else does, and then uh, comparing that to the status quo and finding a way to do something better. And there's tons of examples of this, but uh, yeah, probably the best is is Apple, is Steve Jobs, actually. If you look at uh, the Macintosh, you know, he did that 30 years ago as of last week. And the, all the things he did, the mouse, the uh, user interface, all those things existed but he found a way to put all those things together and put it in an acceptable package and turn it into this amazing phenomenon. And then the iPhone, um, 20-something years later, again, touch technology already existed. And he had this idea of you could get rid of that keyboard by turning the whole front of the phone into a screen. And then it becomes a keyboard when you need it using graphics and you know, several other innovations of uh, sound. He, he put a, a gyroscope inside a phone. He did all these little things that were more innovation than invention. And um, that's the model, I think. If you look at interesting startups, if you look at Twitter and a lot of these companies, that's really the model that is, is important, I think, in building uh, something that can actually be an interesting company over time. And there's just not enough of that in Los Angeles. We're, we're doing too much of a follower mentality of trying to copy or do a little bit better job, the, the cheaper, better, faster model. And in places like New York and Boston and Boulder, Colorado and other places like that, there's a lot more innovation happening. I'm not sure why, because we're one of the most creative places in the world in, in so many different ways. So that's been kind of my, my mantra for the last 
three or four years. And through that, I've done the blog. I've, I've coached. And uh, now I'm writing this book about the whole process, too, that's going to be coming out sometime soon. So the New York Times recently ran a piece on Silicon Beach, and, and it, it posed the theory that um, the genesis for the growth comes from the kind of the demise of MySpace. What, we, what we're having now are the um, MySpace alumni, you know, spinning off and, and doing new ventures, much like, you know, in the 90s or early 2000s, we heard about the Microsoft millionaires. Yeah, it's it's a it's unbelievable. You know, it's uh, I've seen Los Angeles try to become a kind of a sexy startup town a few times in my my career, and it's kind of gone up and down a few times. But if yeah, if you think about it, it's there are more engineers graduated in Southern California than anywhere else in the world every year, and software engineers and hardware engineers and chemists and things like that. That's normally the number one um, measure. It's one reason why Boulder, Colorado is doing well, because you have to keep pumping engineers, new ones, into the system. And many, almost every small town in America would love to be another startup town. You know, uh, Boulder only has 100,000 people. And I just saw a great story by Steve Blank about um, Bend, called Bend, Oregon, which is a little ski town with 80,000 people. But now they're becoming this amazing startup town. And uh, they're setting their goals properly and their their focus is on innovation and the other pieces are like collaboration and um this kind of audacity this willingness to to try crazy new things um in the technology world actually southern cal is is fairly um conservative you know we had i started my career as an aerospace engineer here and there are tons of engineers here uh, but not too many of them are like the Silicon Valley type engineers where they're, they're told when they leave Stanford University, here's $5 million, go do something crazy. So it's, it's a whole different mentality, I think, and collaboration is harder here. I think we're very collaborative as people, but the physical distance between everybody here makes it a lot different economy. Or it's, not, it's not one ecosystem, we're about 20 ecosystems which over time can become 20 little startup towns and start to, to learn from each other. Uh, we do have some wins too, though. We, it's, it's changing uh, over the last year or two. Um, I think the biggest story that we've had, I used to say we don't have a multi-billion dollar company here, but we've got Snapchat, which was just offered $3 billion and they said no, and there are probably three or four others like that. But, you know, Silicon Valley has probably... $200 billion companies. So they have such a mass up there, and we should never try to, to be them. But if you go back to looking at innovation and creativity and artistry and, uh, you know, video and acting and writing and all these things, there's a ton of talent here that, that is starting to spill over. I'm seeing it. I just saw it yesterday at the event I went to. You're starting to see more of that where the line gets blurred between what is a startup and what is an entertainment company. Uh, Maker Studios, you know, they just raised another $100 million. So I think we're starting to become something that can't be ignored. So, Tom, let's go back to the quote um, in Quora. And um, how was that received uh, among... Um, the fellow, the people in uh, the startup community in Silicon Beach. Yeah, just, that's a very important piece. So you look at um, where can we draw people like that from? MySpace, um, eHarmony. I see a lot of ex eHarmony people that are building companies, but that's what happens. Is usually the third or fourth run after the first one is when somebody comes up with their next amazingly new idea. There's a company called Factual in Los Angeles, which is the inventor of um, AdSense. He sold his company to Google, went up there and worked for a while, and now he's back because he wants to be in Los Angeles. And that's got a lot of ex-Google people. Uh, Google itself in Venice, I hear, has spawned probably 15 or 20 little companies all around it, right in that same neighborhood in Venice. And their first customer is off in Google. So that can't be bad for us. So you talked about you know ecosystems and you know, you've been to various ecosystems in Portland and 
um, Cambridge and Colorado and Silicon Valley and now Silicon Beach. And, you know, obviously there's a certain organic nature of them. But the question is, to what extent can um, people create or, or spur those ecosystems further along to growth? So, for example, you know, here in Los Angeles, we just elected Eric Garcetti mayor. And well, with the strong support of the Silicon Beach community, who view him as probably the most you know, tech literate um, mayor in, in, in America, and um, you know he's we've had on the show we, we had to talk about his initiative to make Los Angeles a gigabit city where you would have you know gigabit upload and download speed. And so, to what extent can you know someone like an Eric Garcetti you know spur um, an ecosystem to that next level? Actually, really good feedback. Um, I've gotten congratulated, and that, that's not the only time I've said something like that, and it's not the only time I've tried to inspire um, the LA ecosystem to think differently about how, how they build startups. So I've gotten a lot of good feedback. I've gotten uh, feedback from a lot of Silicon Valley people that really liked it, as well as um, several of the accelerators here, one of the accelerators in LA said they're actually going to use it as one of the slides in their introductory class for for new candidates that come into their group to wake them up a little bit. I think it's yeah. Often when you say something that that everybody knows but nobody wants to say, you get attention. Um, you know that's how I think great comedians are successful. But um, also, I think it's it's something that um, people had kind of forgotten. You know, we got into our, our stupor and we, we forgot that, wow, yeah, it is that. And it's kind of like being creative or it's kind of like innovating. It's if you you've got to pick the right things to to guess or to innovate or to tell a little white lie about, you know, you pick the wrong things or if you do that as a practice, it, it's not going to work. Um, and I was just at a company the other day called Dollar Shave Club here in um, Venice in Los Angeles, and they've gotten a lot of attention. And it's a great um, example of what's happening with Los Angeles. is great idea, uh, great first run. They've raised about $10 million, but now they're kind of stuck. They're trying to figure out what new products uh, can they build. <laughs> they they do have that one. That is their new product, and um, it's. Can you say that on your show? <laughs> um, but the whole point of scalability. You've made it past your first year or two, and you've raised some money, and you've got a nice little team of people. So now what? Now what do you do to have it grow three, four, five, ten years? And I've been involved in companies that grew like that over a long time, and the kind of the tortoise and the hare. And that's where innovation kicks in. If you just copied somebody and you took a little piece of their market, that may not get you very far. But if you actually have truly innovated something and you're slowly marching up the hill and that innovation will spawn an entire product line. Uh, we have a lot of ad technology companies in Los Angeles now, and most of them are kind of innovating some in infrastructure underneath, um, you know, what's pretty much similar to what everybody else is doing, but there's a few of them that are actually incredibly innovative and in terms of data speed and in terms of, you know, some of those things. And I'm starting to see them rise up into the top 10 of the national ad tech scene. So that's pretty amazing to see. So if you think about it, if somebody's not confident, if they, man, I really want to start a startup and I'm actually a very good technologist or marketer or whatever, and I've, I've got the tools, but they're not sure if they can do it. That's more typical in Los Angeles than the highly overconfident or highly confident um, entrepreneur. We have so many of those in Silicon Valley, so many people that went to work for Google and left, and they have $10 million in their bank account, and now they're going to start up their little startup, and the Google guys are going to help them. And if it doesn't work, they can go back to Google and or Twitter, you know, all these different, there's, there's 50 companies they can go to and they're making, you know, three or $400,000 a year in salary. So when you walk out into the world like that and your, your spouse makes another two or 300,000, 
you have that confidence like well you know if you have to be willing to fail in order to to make it happen and we need more of that and i think somebody like garcetti could actually um you know permeate the the tech scene and give give it more of that confidence if he spends enough time on it and i think that's one of the most important things people need here is that feeling like we can do anything and that's if you look at snapchat and you look at these companies that actually really made it happen um, that's part of it. That was a big part of what they did. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Why do over 15,000 small businesses love working with Infusionsoft? Because we believe in people and their dreams. We empower entrepreneurs and our groundbreaking tools help small businesses grow and thrive. We listen. We care. We serve our customers and we do what we say we'll do. We're always trying to find new ways to innovate and to improve our all-in-one sales and marketing platform. Most of all, from email to e-commerce, we help small businesses like yours succeed. Go to Infusionsoft.com slash radio to watch a free product demo. That's Infusionsoft.com slash radio. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital... WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we have Tom Nora. Um, he's been a, a 25-year veteran working in the tech sector and a lot with startups and various different ecosystems. Um, he's quite, caused quite a buzz here in Silicon Beach for the recent blog post um, where he more or less said that... Um, Half of half of not most of what you hear from um, so-called startup experts uh, is conjecture or guess. But um, Tom, you, you're moving forward uh, on, on a different project, and you're actually writing your a book on startups. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, it's it's a fascinating process. I've never done it before. I've done a lot of writing, but I've never written a book before, and it's turning into three books. But uh, you know, for the first one, the main one. It's um, most of my time has been spent with companies that are kind of in that second phase where they've got, you know, let's say over a million in revenue and they've got a product in the market. And I'm, I'm brought in as kind of, you know, one of the professionals, quote unquote, from the larger companies. And so been involved in a lot of companies at that level. And in L.A., there's a lot more early, early stage, you know, people that don't really one person thinking about it or somebody in a co-working space. So the blog actually is more designed for that. The first group I talked about, the, the second phase startup and the book I thought was going to be about that. In fact, that was why I started writing the blog is to warm up for the book and um I realized that what's really needed, the, the reason I'm writing, the, the book is about how to do it. It's how do you actually go out there and start a company, and it doesn't have to be technology, but let's say it is, and make it something that can be a, a real, what they used to call a startup, where you're actually doing something unique. You're using either unique technology, 
in a unique way or there's something about your business model or there's that, that innovation, you know, that Steve Jobs level of spark that you throw in there somewhere. So that's what the book's about. It's about how to do it, essentially. And there's there's a lot of different permutations on that phrase, but, you know, innovation and um, how to live between being like a mad scientist inventor and just a status quo person, how to find that middle ground. Because often the mad scientist invention isn't ready for the world. And so you need that kind of just right on the edge um, mentality. And I can't tell people what to build. I get that question almost every day. What should I do or how do I do it? So that's, that's a lot of it too. I've got a, I do a lot of mentoring for startups in the area here. And so I thought, what if I just put all this in a book and tell a few of the stories I've been involved in so many crazy startup situations that, uh, I thought I can throw a few of those in and kind of give a little entertainment at the same time. And, um, you know, kind of lace it with this thought of uh, creativity, of really kind of rethinking what creativity is. And um, some of the people I meet, especially young people that are just getting out of college or whatever, they just want to be in a startup. They don't care about creativity or even success. So I meet a lot of people who have been here for three months. They have some money from their family to try to get involved in a startup. And I asked this woman recently, well, what, what pay are you looking for? She said, well, we, I don't even care if they pay me. My parents said if I get in a startup, I can stay. And so it's that kind of hanging on by your fingernails feeling that isn't really the right way to go about it. Um, but So that's what the book's about. It's to help people to have a recipe and a set of rules for themselves and access to, you know, to me and other people, people like you to really kind of don't just try to do another regular thing. Let's do something really crazy, do something really interesting. You know, what, you, what you're saying reminds me a lot of some of the writing I remember reading at the time of uh, John Lennon's death. And in particular, I remember there was an uh, article in Time magazine talking about how um, John Lennon and some of the others, you know, uh, Hendrix and Elvis, that um, the best music was created um, on the edge with people who, because of how they lived, because of the, the pain they experienced in life, um, just had a certain rawness to them that allowed them to, to kind of transcend and create incredible art. And uh, you know, we, maybe that's also part of what you know, we saw in Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, uh, but the, the downside of the edge is, you know, while it creates, uh, it definitely leads to blossoming of art, um, it also can be very destructive and it can take a toll on the people. And you, know, you only can be at the edge, as, as the writer would said, uh, for so long without it consuming you. And um, it noted that, for example, in contrast, uh, Len, you know, McCartney, you know, he, he, his visit to the edge was, was short-lived. And, um, you know, eventually he kind of went to this more poppy and uh, you know, kind of less creative music, and um, but you know, for that he's still alive. Um, whereas you know, Hoffman or Hendrix and uh, Cobain or whoever, you know, it ultimately consumed them. Yeah, it's it's actually what you're describing is exactly the same. It's in the book as the um, kind of a life cycle of a successful startup. Um, early on, there's a lot of creativity and trying crazy things and you know, sawing off a piece of the table here and gluing it back over there and doing this crazy thing. And sometimes it works and you can't sustain that. You, over time, you, you shift from that kind of a company to more of a just kind of protecting your company. And you look at a lot of companies, they innovate early on a lot and they never do again. They, they go 20, 30 years is kind of maintaining and slowly building for a startup to have this, um, surge of innovation more than once. Look at Apple. They actually did it. There's been a few times, but it's really hard. You, you Maybe every five or ten years you can try. Like Hewlett Packard has tried three or four times. didn't work. Um, you look at some of these companies like Zynga. They had this rush and then slowly they, they couldn't make it. It's almost impossible to do two or three or four times. It's pretty hard to do it once even. So yeah, if you compare it to an artist... Yeah, if you compare it to uh, an artist or like I, I just read a great quote from Tim Burton earlier 
he was talking about um, Michael Keaton, and he was talking about how when he did Beetlejuice, that he saw that character as a completely different person. And he said, I was at the height of my creativity back then. That was my peak. And he said, since then, I've gone downhill. He said, I can't sustain that creativity that I had back when I did Beetlejuice and the first two Batmans. He said, everything I've done since then is kind of just, you know, phoning it in. I've just, and he actually admitted it. And um, he said that, but Michael Keaton brought this other thing to it. He said, there's this kind of skinny, wimpy guy that wants to be Batman. And uh, he said, but he did it with his eyes. He used his eyes to show who Batman really was. And so you see that cycle in, in all these creative things. The, the, the point I'm trying to make, I think, with a lot of people in LA that want to have a startup is they never do the initial one. They never have that original burst of creativity. And, you know, anybody can be creative. And if you think hard enough and you, you kind of talk to a lot of people and try to make it something more interesting than what it is. And I, I spent a lot of time studying uh, Silicon Valley startups. I see them almost, you know, more than once a week. I see amazing, cool things that make you kind of giggle like, oh, my God, I can't believe they came up with that. Or that's, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? So, um, you know, I think that's part of the book, too, is to help spawn that thought process. Now, Tom, I want to thank you very much for for coming back and talking to us again, particularly uh, with the buzz you've created on this quote. Uh, if people want to follow you, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, the easiest is at Tom Nora, which is um, Twitter. So that's my handle on Twitter. Um, or, you know, obviously through you, they can get me. And then my website is TomNora.com. And... Most of my website right now is software development um, experiments I'm doing. I'm, I turned myself into a software development, um, whatever, journeyman again uh, about a year ago. So I'm doing a lot of that. And there's also some artwork and things like that. But yeah, TomNora.com or at TomNora. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! How about catching more attention, like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short-branded, attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand, just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD, DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report on Webmaster Radio. And I want to thank Tom again. He's uh, 
he's very well respected here in Silicon Beach. He's uh, he's definitely the what I would call a Renaissance man in terms of his ability um, to understand all the facets, really, of of a successful business. I mean, he's he's been a C- CEO and he's also been a venture capitalist. Um, he's he's doing programming now. Um, he just kind of dove into it again. Um, he's really excited about Drupal. And um, he's also an artist. If you go to his websites, I mean, he's done some excellent photography, and he's you know, he's lived and worked in the the artist community in, in Santa Fe. So he he's really uh, he's an interesting guy. I'm, I'm you know it's been it's been a pleasure to work with him. And uh, so definitely watch Tom Nor. We'll look out for this book. Um, he definitely has a a great perspective on things. So uh, he's that's one to watch. So. Um, in the time we have remaining, we want to give you some news updates. And um, the first is uh, we have a um, Internet Law Center's newsletter, Cyber Report, um, has gone out. And if you go to our blog, I, um, Cyber Report, um, ilccyberreport.com, you can see the, a PDF of the newsletter. And um, the big things that are happening right now are um, that you should be aware of is really it's um, – it's privacy and data breaches are a huge issue. Um, the, the target data breach has caused a lot of ripples, and uh, people are really starting to come um, trying to get their arms around that. And um, as well as um, California has uh, a newly enacted um, privacy law to deal with. You recall we had we talked about the struggle between Mozilla. And the um, the IAB and the Digital Advertising Coalition on the question of should a browser setting um, de- default to do not track, and with the ad industry saying uh, any browser that defaults to do not track is not really expressing a consumer choice, and that they wouldn't recognize it. Well, um, California decided to weigh in on that and said that well, um, we're going to pass a law that if you are not going to recognize do not track, um, you have to say so in your privacy policy. So there are new requirements now for California privacy policies um, that went started into effect on January 1. And, um, and one of them is a, a number of um, elements that you have to disclose with respect to the whole question of do not track. And uh, so you need to be aware of that. And if you haven't updated your privacy policy, um, you, you should. And here's another reason why to update your privacy policy. Um, you should look at it regularly, but um, you want a number of privacy policies have this element called um, EU safe harbor certification. And basically, the United States and the, um, the European Union negotiated uh, somewhat of a settlement in the early 2000s and on the question of compliance with the EU privacy directive. And basically, it requires that any data taken out of the EU can only go to a jurisdiction that complies with, um, you know, has its as strict standards as the EU does for data privacy. And um, so there's a, it's a self-certification process, um, but you have to you know, submit to the U.S. Department of Commerce and certify your compliance and uh, meet certain um, requirements. Well, I, a lot of people have, have that in their privacy policy, and they may not have kept current on their self-certification. And um, so the FTC recently entered into consent decrees with three, um, with 12 companies, including, um, surprisingly, three NFL teams. And um, one of them was actually in the Super Bowl on Sunday, the Denver Broncos. And, uh, and so uh, what, you know, did they lose because they uh, got totally smoked by a better team or because Peyton Manning uh, was in a funk because his privacy policy was substandard? I'm not going to say. Um, I'll leave that one for the ESPN. But um, you know, it, obviously, it has some financial repercussions uh, for the the Broncos, and um, much less so, obviously, than their loss on Sunday. But um, it it goes to it highlights a point about you know things that are out there and you're not keeping up on them, causing liability. I mean, I'm sure that at one point the Broncos and the Falcons and the, I think it was the Titans. All were compliant with the EU safe harbor, but they, you know, they, they failed to keep that update. So um, definitely check out your privacy policy. Uh, the other big thing going on is in the, um, the California Attorney General is um, looking at this and will have uh, a guidance and best practices guide uh, very shortly on this. And uh, 
you know, keep in mind a couple of things in the environment in which we're in. The first is that you have um, two activist organizations um, that are very um, eager to address two issues. Um, in California, privacy and data breaches are very big. And Kamala Harris has indicated as such, and she's actually been releasing annual data on data breaches and just filed a lawsuit against Kaiser um, Medical on its failure to timely notify its consumers on the data breach. They waited for close to six months before consumers were ultimately notified. And although they didn't necessarily have the data at day one, they did have it and were extracting it over time. And the California tradition was that they, they should have disclosed it on a rolling basis. So um, data breaches are big and the other element is just privacy. And California has created a privacy enforcement unit. Now jump forward to the, the federal level and you have the FTC. You have new Commissioner Ramirez who has stated that um, she intends to be the lifeguard um, watching out of big data as it swims around consumers in the pool. And, um, and so they're going to be a, um, the, the FTC's has sent out a number of um, questionnaires to big data companies last year, and they expect to have a report early this year. In addition, there'll be some um, <coughs> workshops on the issue um, in, in February and March this year as well. So the FTC is, is moving forward on this, and um, you just need to be cognizant that this is a, a very much a spotlight issue. If you're wondering where, where what part of the government is looking at, at what part of your activities, well, if you're engaged in anything involving big data, if you have any issues of data breaches, um, you need to be very much aware. And um, so that is um, some of the highlights of what's going on. A um, couple other major developments that you should be aware of. Um, one was um, a, a huge verdict against um, Overture.com. And, uh, you know, the FTC website has a very useful information. We've talked a little bit about the dot-com disclosure guidelines, and they have excellent information about pricing guidelines and you know, what is deceptive, what isn't. And they even have it in respect to comparative pricing. And um, Overstock.com um, was uh, making some pretty outrageous claims as to what was um, the, the price it was being compared to. And so they were um, saying that a price, a product was 50% um, marked down from the list price, which actually wasn't even the list price. And um, in reality, the price that they were giving it to the consumer was a 40% markup. And, um, and how did the consumer find out? Well, the price tag was on the product delivered. Um, and so that led to an investigation. Um, and a, a lawsuit brought by six district attorneys in, <coughs> excuse me, in Northern California, and um, Overstock got tagged for over six billion dollars. Excuse me, six million dollars, and um, and they're appealing, but it looks like um, there's a lot of serious evidence there against Overstock, and it's, you know, it's definitely a cautionary tale. They got too aggressive. Um, you definitely want to look at the guides of the FTC on this issue. Um, another big ruling is the uh, clearly um, was the DC Circuit's ruling on net neutrality. And let's uh, explain briefly what it is they decided and what it is they didn't decide. So the question really centered on not the merits of net neutrality, not whether that was a, um, even a proper area for the FTC, to, excuse me, FCC to address. Um, the question was, did the FCC have authority to issue the regulations they did? And it all goes back to 2002, I believe, when uh, under President Bush, um, FCC Chairman Michael Powell, the son of the um, former general, uh, reclassified broadband services as a information service. And so by doing so, it was no longer subject to um, the common carrier regulations. Um, but then it didn't mean the FCC was without authority to regulate it. It just could not regulate as a common carrier. Um, jump forward to the end of the Bush administration, you had the action against Comcast um, relating to their throttling certain consumers without disclosing it. Um, Comcast challenged the uh, 
um, the citation that was given to it um, went to DC Circuit. DC Circuit said um, the FCC did not have a, did not have authority. It was operating under voluntary guidelines, and so therefore could not sanction Comcast, even though there was no monetary sanction. Um, and so it went back to the drawing board, and that's what created led to the creation of the net neutrality regs. And throughout it, there was a debate about what should be done. Um, do we reclassify um, broadband as um, it was prior so that you can treat it as a common carrier or not? And the FCC tried to thread the middle. And uh, so the plus side for the FCC was that in, under its general authority, the court acknowledged that the FCC does have some regulatory authority over the Internet. Um, the downside for the FCC, though, was that because it had said that it is not treating broadband services under uh, the common carrier type regulate, regulatory regime, it can't then impose common carrier obligations, which is really what net neutrality is about, non-discrimination, treating everyone equally. Um, it couldn't then impose that upon um, the ISPs. And so, um, in essence, despite, <laughs> despite the fact that the FCC was really doing a mulligan, this was their second time before the D.C. Circuit on the issue, that they're getting um, one more chance. And um, so um, that issue is still alive, and um, will be, remains to be seen what the administration will do. Uh, whatever they do, it will be a firestorm. So definitely check out the newsletter. Um, it is, as I said, at ILC Cyber Report. Um, dot com, and um, they hope you um, find it informative. I want to do a couple of shout-outs. Um, one is there's a major announcement in Washington, and um, that was the retirement of Henry Waxman. And when I first came to Washington in 1981, uh, I was a freshman in college studying political science. Uh, our first class, we were shown a movie about the battle over the Clean Air or Clean Water Act amendments and it pitted this young congressman from California up against this old bull from Detroit and uh, who represented the auto industry. And um, it showed just the inner workings of Congress and how things got done. And, you know, the young buck from Los Angeles ultimately won. And, um, and he led, went on to become one of the most powerful and successful congressmen, I, I think, in history. And um, Henry Waxman, after 40 years, 20 terms, has decided to um, call it quits. Uh, he is one of six members of Congress who predate Jimmy Carter. Um, he is the fifth and sixth uh, ranking member. Um, he's tied, and his other um, person he's tied with is uh, Congressman Miller from Northern California, both of whom retired. So California is losing a lot of um, seniority. But Henry Waxman has uh, always been responsive um, to the tech community, and uh, he's able to communicate with his staff on a number of issues. Um, but he's, he's been an outstanding representative. Uh, if you um, live in Southern California or anywhere where it has been polluted, but now the air is cleaner, you can thank Henry Waxman. Um, if you have health care, you can thank Henry Waxman. And um, one other issue, he, he was a wonderful, um, amazingly aggressive at oversight. And you may recall the, the famous image of the tobacco industry all lined up uh, with their hands up and giving oath um, before they testified and then in which they then lied about um, saying that uh, nicotine was addictive. Well, that, that famous iconic photo, uh, the person they're all staring at was Henry Waxman. He was the chairman. He was swearing them in. And uh, he really um, was a, a very much a consumer advocate. And um, he was only five foot five inches, but he was definitely considered a giant in Washington. So I wish Congressman Waxman and his wife um, much happiness in the years ahead and um, a, a heartfelt sense of gratitude for all you've done for those of us here in Los Angeles and uh, much, much luck to you in the future. And it's going to be an interesting race to see who succeeds, but those are big shoes to fill. I um, also want to give a shout-out to the Beverly Hills Bar Association. Um, thank you for having us. We did a presentation on online um, advertising um, last week, and that is... Um, it's on my blog as well. Welcome to check it out. Um, but that's all for this week. Um, thanks again for Tom Noren. He's a great guy. And I hope you check out his information. Uh, definitely insightful on startup scene. And um, congratulations to the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, look forward to talking to you next week. This is Ben and Kelly talking to you live from Internet Law Center in the heart of Silicon Beach. Just remember, just because someone says the Internet Lawyer, 
doesn't mean they're a real deal. Check and uh, we want to find someone who's been in the mix of it like we have. So uh, give us a call, but um, we'll, we'll be here next week. Tune in to another edition of Cyberlaw and Business Report and download our mobile app on Webmaster Radio. And until then, quarters adjourned. See you next week and have a safe week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.